Hi, I'm Joaquin Evans, co-senior leader of Bethel Austin. I pray that Jesus ministers to you through today's message and that you are blessed deeply. If you're encouraged, please like and subscribe so you can stay up to date with all of our weekly sermons. Enjoy the message. Why don't we just give it up for Pastor Joaquin and Renee and the entire team here. I mean, what they've done. Tremendous. Might as well stay standing one more time for the staff and the people that put all of this together. Wow. And Chris Valentin. <laughs> and my wife, Candace. <laughs> all right. Now you can be seated for now. Uh, Candace will be sharing a uh, little bit this afternoon. I say a little bit. I mean, you don't want to hear me once she gets the microphone. It's so incredible. Uh, I want to give away some things first. My iPad. <laughs> no, I need to keep that. <laughs> uh, you know, a quick update on the Passion Translation. I hope some of you are reading it. But, um, you know, the best Bible, the best translation is the one you believe and you follow. That's the best one. We're just adding the Passion Translation to a beautiful mix of English trans translations and versions that we have. And I, I know it's going to bring life to some people. But um, people have asked us for an update. We are in the Old Testament, of course. Uh, we have finished in the Old Testament Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Songs, Genesis, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Amos, Joel, Obadiah, and I'm now working on Micah chapter 5. So, yeah, excited about that. So thank you for praying for us as we get moving on this project. Uh, I can only do a verse at a time, so... But I, I'm spending as much time as I can on this, including this morning before uh, the meeting. So our publishers have put together, uh, has anybody ever heard of Ron DeCiani? He's a world-renowned artist. He's featured, anybody in the Christian art world would know him. He's featured in the United Nations, the White House, all over the world. And uh, you've seen his art. You just don't recognize the name. Uh, but we put together a masterpiece edition that has 60 pieces of his artwork, some of them unique to the, this uh, edition, um, and 60 devotionals as well that go along with this. Uh, and the artist has a story, the backstory of his work. Man, I, I just wish I could pass this out to all of you and you, you look at it. It's just so phenomenal, some of the pieces that he has in here. And then you add the Passion Translation to it, and it, and it really really is a masterpiece. It would be great for you to give that to your family this Christmas. And I'm going to give it to somebody if I could put it back together. All right, somebody under 100. <laughs> Do you have this, Chris? Would you like to have the? Would, would every, no, no, no. They, how many of you would like for Chris to buy his own? And how many would like me to give it to Chris? Let's, uh, okay. Your money got outvoted. <laughs> I even... 
You can raffle that. <laughs> How many of you love to hear the voice of God? Do we have any prophetic people here at Bethel Austin that wake up in the morning and it's your number one delight and desire to just sit and, and to hear him whisper to you? Well, that happened to me a few years ago. I, would, I got up every morning early, as is my custom, and I sat down in my bathrobe, uh, my cup of coffee in my living room, and would uh, pre-sunrise and just quiet my heart before the Lord. And he began to whisper to me. And at first, I thought it was just me because I wrote him down. I thought, wow, God, thank you so much. You're talking to me. And uh, I posted them on Facebook for a while, and then our publishers found out about it. And they said, no, this is, this is not just for you. This is for everybody. So uh, is Gretchen here? Gretchen Rodriguez? She's going to be coming, I think, later today. Uh, she co-authored this with me. But it's 165 daily devotions of I Hear His Whisper. I want to give this to, to somebody that's been a believer for maybe a year or less. A year or less. Sweetheart, it's yours. Come on up. Yeah. <clears throat> now, has anybody ever prophesied over you? They have? They're going to do it again. Okay? So here's what the Lord is saying to you, that he has given you a very anointed prophetic gift that has been inside you and actually in your family for a while. And God is going to breathe on it. And as you read this book, you're going to have your own encounters with the Lord. So journal, write what he says to you, because what you say and what you write is going to affect a lot more people than you could ever dream. What's your name? Kate, get ready to go to heaven in Jesus' name. <laughs> So wasn't that la last night, wasn't that really good with what Chris shared? And I, I want to just correct everything wrong that he, he, he said. And <laughs> no, actually, I want to, I want to, I, I was amazed. Ken, and I leaned over to Candace so many times. I said, he's really setting this up for what I wanted to share today. And he did such a great job of doing that. And I'm sure he'll, he'll take it even further this afternoon and, and yet this morning. But I want to share with you about Grasshoppers and giants. We had caterpillars and butterflies last night. We're going to have grasshoppers and giants. Turn in your Bible, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, you can open a Bible app or flip pages like you used to. You know this verse. It says, I'm writing to encourage you, verse 6, uh, Paul writing to Timothy, I'm writing to encourage you to fan into a flame and rekindle the fire of the spiritual gift God imparted to you when I laid my hands upon you. God wants us to fan into a flame, and that word is literally to awaken. It means to rekindle or it comes from a Greek word that means to awaken. God wants to awaken your dormant gift. Kate, Katie, is that it? Katie, he's going to awaken a dormant gift in you, and she's a sign and a wonder for all of us. There are gifts inside of you that have been slumbering. They're on pause. Some of them you've laid aside. But God wants to fan them back into a flame today. Is that okay? We get a fire burning up here. That prophet Evie was so, so anointed when she said it only takes a spark to get a fire burning 
Amen. Uh, my wife likes that. Verse 7, for God will never, everybody say never. God will never give you the spirit of fear. Now, the problem with this translation is that it's not really the word fear. There are, phobos is the clear, clearest word for fear in the Greek, Greek language. This is not phobos, this is delia. And it means passivity. It means timidity. It means cowardice. God has not made you timid. God has not given you a spirit that will make you fall back in face of a giant. God has not given you a spirit to be passive. Lukewarm. Come on, change your address out of Laodicea. Get out of, get out of that place forever. And he's awakening us. He's rekindling us. Revival. Revival is a rekindling of a flame that burns in us but is now dormant. And God wants to awaken something here. I, as I prayed for you in this, this conference, I don't think I've ever had a more clear word for a church than what I have here today. I just ask for grace to bring it. But it is a word that you're going to face some things next year that's going to require you to have a higher level of boldness and confidence in your identity as we, as we shared last, as Chris shared last night, but to come to a place where you're no longer intimidated, but you have courage to face a religious spirit that is dominant in Austin. And God wants you, break, wants you to break through the religious issues that are going to be manifest in this, in this city in days to come. So to take a city starts by taking your own heart and getting it on fire again. I mean, you gotta, it has to start with some person. I can tell you where revival will begin. The person who says they won't live without it. And it just takes one person. It takes a Gideon. It, it, it takes, you know, a Moses that is before the bush long enough until he becomes a burning one. But God wants to ignite a flame in this city. And I've never known God to use a passive person. Passivity is the devil's babysitter. And if he can keep you passive, if he can keep you, well, if God's going to do it, he's going to do it. No, God's going to do it, but he's going to do it through a, a person, a people, who say, it's going to be me. If not me, who? If not here, where? If not now, when? It's amazing. When God came down and visited Moses, he's burning in that bush, all-consuming fire. It was actually a thorn bush. The Hebrew word is a thorn bush because that thorn bush was a picture of Moses with his thorns. Thorns is a picture of the curse of humanity, the curse of a fallen planet. It was, uh, you know, cursed to produce thorns. Jesus wore a crown of thorns on the cross. And in this thorn bush, God is saying, in essence, I'll do in you, Moses, what I'm doing here. I'll burn and I'll burn and I'll burn until a million people get set free. If you'll let me consume you, you're going to consume the stronghold of the enemy. And with that anointing he received there before the burning bush, it wasn't for a day or an hour. I think he was there for two or three weeks before the burning presence until he absorbed the presence of God. And then he was able to go and pry the ten fingers of Satan off of his people. The ten plagues of Egypt were the ten spirit principalities over the land. They worshiped the Nile. They worshiped frogs, believe it or not. 
And they worship, you know, bugs and beetles. Not, not the ones from London, but. So this, this anointing of fearlessness, it has to come upon you. Imagine the things God has for you that won't get done, that won't, be, won't bear its fruit if you remain passive in this hour. The intimidating work of Satan is to, is to limit you, it's to put you down, it's to tower over you and to tell you everything you're not. It's always a religious spirit that will remind you over and over what you're not. But I read the Song of Songs, eight chapters of the most beautiful divine soliloquy ever composed, and there's no angry exhortation. There's no guilt-driven theology pouring through its pages. But it, it, it is a, the opera of the operation of God in our soul. It's what God is doing. He affirms us. You know, he calls things that are not as though they are. Any one-eyed critic can tell you things you already know. But we need to have that prophetic revelation of who we are, of what we're going to do and be in this land, and how God's going to use you to change Austin. You guys excited? All right, you Methodists. But... Uh, <laughs> God has chosen you for a divine assignment. And I think that's the key of breaking passivity off of your heart, is to know that you have a mission, that know that you have been called to do something. You know, when, when Candace and I went into the jungle, we, we went uh, with our, our, uh, our three kids. One was five months. Our youngest was five months old. I was ridiculed by every pastor and every voice in my life was telling us, how dare you take a little child out into the jungle? Well, they didn't realize it. our little child almost drowned as we went out there. Canoe flipped over, lost our stuff, supplies, almost our lives. But a miracle happened, and we were rescued out of a... When I say a flooding river, bro, it's... We had entire huge trees bobbing up and down. And the, the houses built on stilts on the bank, all you could see was the very top piece of the, of the, uh, of the palm of their roof. It was, it was a massive flood. And how we were ever going to get out of that, it took a work of God. It took a miracle of God. We were rescued by the angelic, these beautiful people in these tiny piraguas, little tiny canoes out of nowhere where there's nobody living at, in that part of the jungle. They came out and rescued uh, Candace and our little baby and then our two daughters and and I was the last and I'm on the overturned bottom of the canoe crying out to God in any language I could come up with <laughs> Spanish, Spanglish, English, tongues, anything help all I could think about was I'm going to go to the ocean because that's where rivers end up you know I hope they catch me out at sea someday but then uh, my rescuer came and was able to pull me off of that overturned canoe and into, into his tiny canoe, went to the shore, and I thought, I don't know how I'm going to see my family because they're way up there in the river, and I'm way down here, and there's no way to, you know, traverse the jungle to try to find them. So I just waited and prayed, and then sure enough, here they come floating down 
to where I was. From the very day we got into the jungle, the enemy tried to intimidate us. They called a meeting. They were very communal, community-oriented people. Everything they did, they would do together. And they had a town meeting. So the entire village shows up, and the chief, the Saigla, as he's called, he got up, and, and I had, thankfully, I had uh, a man that could speak a little bit of Spanish, and he interpreted for me. But he got up and in essence said uh, to us, you might as well go back now. Uh, you uh, white people have come to us many times. You all say the same thing. You're going to learn our language. You're going to tell us about God's trail. That's how they described it. Uh, you've got this book that you think is special, and you're going to do this, you're going to do that. But all of you leave after a while because you can't take living with us. So why don't you just pack up and go now? That was a nice welcome, you know, like welcome, Matt, to the village. Later, our daughter was bitten by a five-foot-long snake, nearly died, slipping into a coma. I, I mean, I'm, I'm shortening this, folks. I think we had every principality and power in that area coming after us. And I had to break through intimidation. Our partners came and said, we can't take it anymore. We're leaving. Left us all alone. So there we were, Candace and I, our children, and a whole lot of demons, and people that didn't really want the gospel. I had to learn to break intimidation. So what I'm sharing with you today, and maybe this afternoon, is, is coming from my heart of how he's had to deal with me. Like anybody, I think we all have uh, the fear of man can affect us. We all can get intimidated, and intimidation is always a part of the enemy's work especially when it comes from spiritual leaders. Uh, the control, manipulation, and intimidation are the tools of insecure leaders. Thankfully, that's not the case here. But I'm telling you that uh, anybody that wants to focus on what you are not has not got a grace gospel in their heart yet. We need to make princes out of paupers. We need to turn queens out of the, you know, the woman at the well. Jesus did. And we will have those challenges to go from what, what did Chris say last night? From the present to the, from the future to the present of seeing people in that light. Well, when I think of people in the Bible that break intimidation, I think of David. David was... Uh, you know, intimidated by his own brothers. He wasn't even included. When Samuel the prophet came to anoint the next king, uh, Davy wasn't there. But he was the one that when he heard about a giant that was intimidating all of Israel, when he heard that story, he, he went and he overheard himself, this mountain of a man, this nine and a half foot terminator, say, I defy the living God, and I defy the armies of Saul. Send me a man. Give me a man that will fight with me, and if he triumphs over me, we will be your servants, and if I triumph over him, you will be our servants. I think God is still saying, give me a man. Give me a woman that I can raise up. David overheard that, and uh, the word got to Saul, 
Saul tried to put his armor on him. The religious spirit will always try to do that. Uh, the armor of, of, you know, this seminary, the, the armor of this way of preaching. And Saul's armor is never enough to confront a giant. You got any giants operating in your, in your life right now that is uh, trying to limit you, trying to keep your advance from going, you know, to stop your advance? What a man. David was, uh, his own brothers tried to intimidate him. They said, why are you here, Davy? You're just here for sport. You're just here to be entertained. You heard about this giant. You want to come out here with the big guys. And, and, and David ignored it. He ignored it. Sometimes your brothers will intimidate you. I'm talking about church friends. We'll tell you everything God can't do through your life. When God has given you a mission, he's given you a calling, he's given you a gift. Do not submit to an intimidating spirit, Bethel Austin. Do not. This is your year of advance. 2022 is going to be a year of advance in every way. You name it. Not only a greater attendance, more children than your children's ministry is used to, more parking spaces than what you have, maybe multiple services added. This, this has every mark of being a revival center for this part of Texas. It really does. But if you are passive and you say, well, if God's going to do it, he'll, he'll, he'll send it. Well, I'll tell you who he's going to send it through is a person that says, I want to stand against the giant of intimidation. I want to stand against Goliath. So David, you know the story. He didn't walk out there. Well, let's just go see what God will do. No, he ran. I mean, this kid, no, no more than 17 years old, put all of Saul's armies, and Saul himself was head and shoulders above all the others. He was possibly up to seven feet tall, head and shoulders above them all. Put them all to shame as David ran out there, and on his way, he scooped up five smooth stones out of the riverbed. These are the well-worn promises of God. Five smooth stones. They've been worn. They've, I've used these before with a lion and a bear. I know God is bigger. You need your five smooth stones out of your riverbed, out of that flow of life of God working in you. And it, you know what happened. He hurled the, um, the stone. It was armor piercing, actually, because you ought to do the research. The Philistines had a helmet with a thing right down over their nose, over their forehead. It was, it was an armor piercing rock. Only the Spirit of God could have hurled that rock, that stone, as hard as David did against Goliath. And where did he hit Goliath with that stone? Where your mark of the beast goes. Or where the mark of your beast goes. Right there. You see, Goliath is a picture of intellectual intimidation. Goliath is a picture of the mind of man that competes with the mind of God, that says, well, God may have said that, but who are you? You're not prepared. You need a different armor. You need this, you need that. And David said, no, all I need is the name of God. 
So the mind of man is the greatest enemy to the advance of the church in Texas. Intellect is never the door to truth. It's not enough, not big enough. Oh, maybe you have great intellect. That's wonderful. Still not big enough. So David ran to him, hurled this uh, RPG at him, and knocked him down. And uh, the guy was nine and a half feet tall, and that's a conservative estimate. You'll never find an estimate less than about nine feet. Some, one uh, Bible teacher said it's ten and a half feet. But, you know, using the common 18-inch rule of a cubit, uh, it's about 9.6 to 9.10 inches. That's a big guy. I mean, his armor was 125 pounds. His spearhead, his spearhead, 15 pounds. That's like throwing a, you know, a, a, a hammer, like throwing a, yeah, a shot putter. Wow. He had leggings, he had bronze. I mean, bronze was all over him, and bronze is always a picture of judgment. The brazen altar where judgment was rendered. Covered with bronze and judgment, here's this intimidating spirit coming at you and saying, you're too young to think of doing anything to change the world. Who do you think you are, you woman? In a male-dominated culture? And here's one I, I could borrow. Why, you're so old, you got gray hair. And you think God's going to use you? <laughs> I'm just thankful to have some left. But intimidation, Satan traffics. This is, this is the underground trafficking of darkness. And, and it's subtle, and it's always always better than. It's, it's a superiority. And any leader that projects that is not flowing in the life of God. They're not flowing in the life-giving spirit of God. Leaders empower. It's not some Amway system where you get in the downline, you know, and you, I'm here and the, uh, I'm top of the pyramid and you, you guys down here, you, you runts, you gotta, you gotta support me. No. True leaders are the bottom. I mean, we're reaching for the throne, and Jesus reached for a towel to wash feet. So Goliath, this massive giant, picture him. Picture this intimidating voice, thundering voice. An entire army was moved by one voice because they were intimidated. Do not let that voice intimidate you. Bethel Austin, no matter where it comes from, because God has you on a fast track. He has, he has advance, advance, advance in your future. The Austin advance is taking place. So David, after he knocked the guy down, what did he do? He bent down and he took out this massive sword. cut off the mind of man because this was the principality that was hindering 
Israel, God's people. You need to cut off the head of the giant. And you know what he did? He grabbed that head and he went up to Saul. Charge! And all the armies chased the flesh of the uh, Philistines and, and scattered their bodies all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. But David didn't stop. He took this head. You ought to read 1 Samuel 17. It's in the Bible. He took the head of this giant, ugh, carried it 20 miles, and buried it in Jerusalem. That's what it says. But he would not have buried it inside that city because it was a Jebusite stronghold. He wouldn't have had access there. He buried it just outside. Are you sitting down? At a place called Golgotha, which is a, a compound word for Goliath of Gath. Somebody tell me what Golgotha means. The place of the skull. The cross must pierce the place of your skull. It must pierce human reasoning. How can you get a building and you, gotta, you don't have the money yet? How can you, how, what do you mean? You don't even have enough people to fill it quite yet. You don't go by human reasoning. How could Bethel build a, a, an incredible building there in Reading, you know? Giants of financial intimidation. Giants of political intimidation. I'll tell you who's standing out right now, and I'm not making a political statement. Uh, Chris can do that later. But <laughs> who's really standing out in our culture are people who will not be intimidated, like parents. You know, like, like people that are, they're not, they're not going to handle status quo. They're, they're not wired for status quo. And God has not wired Bethel for status quo. I mean, who does a school of technology? I mean, some of the things I see, here's what I see. Uh, I have to announce my prophecies when I prophesy. So, heareth what I'm aboutth to sayeth. You are going to have a school, another school, and it has to do with worship. And I saw a school of music. I saw a worship lab, like worship people that just night and day, and it's not like the IHOP thing, and that's great, no problem, but it's more of composers and people coming to make music. And the prophetic gift is going to fall on you because the prophets were all musicians in the Old Testament. They would sing, and, and they'd get, you know, David playing the harp. Imagine plucking a harp and demons leaving. That's the kind of worship that you're going to be known for. A deliverance of a city through worship. Not just music, but anointed David harp worship. And we are that ten-string instrument. Two hands, two feet, two eyes, two ears. A heart that loves him and a mouth to praise him. Play the ten-stringed harp in my heart.
We actually have that in the Passion Translation. I forgot what verse, but it's in there in the Psalms. Play the, play the harp of my heart or something like that. So David is one of many. I mean, Elijah, Esther. We, we could talk about all the people who refused to be intimidated, and they changed history. I have never known God to use a passive person, ever. It is a coming up out. It is a, an awakening of the gift of the dormant thing that's in. Suddenly, it comes out. The spirit of faith or the gift of faith has to be linked to a divine boldness and a holy confidence that God is enough. So I did a really detailed Greek study of the word boldness. I was shocked what I found. It means boldness. <laughs> we come to the throne of grace with boldness. Hey, God, my daughter needs healing now. Some of you wouldn't want to pray with me. Really, I have intercessors that kind of scoot out of the room when I begin to pray. I pray scary prayers. If God is big as, as we know he is, and he calls us to keep asking, to keep seeking, and keep knocking, then we can, we can urge him to bring his glory to the earth. Do it, God. It happened to me when I came off the mission field. I was that in-between period of Baptist theology and my evangelical upbringing and Espiritu Santo. Hey, yeah, haba ronda. Shiska babaluski. So I'm in between trying to figure all this out, and I read the verse where it says that, you know, the laying on of hands out of Hebrews 6, that there's a, the doctrine of laying on of hands. And I read in the book of Acts, of they laid hands on people. I, I know this sounds stupid, but this is where I was. I thought that meant if you asked Jesus, he would come and lay hands on you. So I did for six weeks every Sunday after church. Everybody left. The quietest place in, in Austin is the church sanctuary about 2.30 in the afternoon. Because there ain't nobody here. They're all in the restaurants or watching a game. So I'd stay and linger. God, come lay, Jesus, come lay your hands. Come lay your hands on me. Come lay your hands on me, Jesus. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Six weeks. End of the six weeks, he did. That next Sunday, I did the Sunday night service. A glory light so strong came into the room. People began to shriek and cry confess sins, and that takes the God, that takes the glory of God. I mean, all kinds of sexual sins and all kinds of issues, and a guy was about to divorce his wife. He gets up so broken, alpha dog male guy, so broken, he, he couldn't hardly stand, and the other brothers surrounded him, and, and he was weeping about, I, I'm I've been living in adultery. I'm about to leave my wife. And, and God got a hold of it. This light of glory came into the room. Maybe you should come around here 2.30 Sunday for six weeks and just say, Jesus, scary prayers get scary answers. Passive prayers will get passive answers. It'll hop right over you and come on somebody else. 
If revival depended on you, how close are we? The flame has to burn somewhere. And it's not going to be on the guy hiding under the, you know. We, we don't put light under a bushel. We put, it, we put it where everybody can see it. This light has to burn bright in Austin. I mean, there's a darkness that this light will not uh, extinguish. I mean, the, the darkness will not conquer the light as it shines. But, dude, I mean, just your iPhone light isn't enough. It, we got to get a brighter glory on us. So the place of the skull is the biggest issue. And while the church is infatuated, not infatuated, but uh, distracted with the mark of the beast, the Bible makes it really clear of the seal of God on our foreheads. Let's talk about grasshoppers. Numbers 13, Moses sent out the 12 spies, and this is where uh, Yehoshua got his name changed to Joshua, which when, uh, okay, here's a quick etymological survey of the name Yehoshua, all right? It started Yehoshua. That was the name uh, Mama and Papa Joshua gave him. I guess Nun was his dad. He was the son of Nun, not the son of a nun, the son of Nun. Anyway. Okay, Nun and his dad gave him the name Yehoshua. Moses changed it, said, no, you're going to be Yehoshua. And in the captivity, when they went to Babylon, Hebrew got all mangled and changed and virtually was lost for 800 years. Some Scholars say even a thousand years, Hebrew was a dead language, a lost language. But as they came back into the promised land, back out of captivity, they began to speak Hebrew again, and the name Yehoshua was changed to Yeshua. So it was very clear when the angel came to Mary, you're going to call him Yeshua, that it was a Joshua, that he will be every bit of what Joshua was, in the Old Testament, he will be a deliverer. He'll bring you into a new place in the New Testament because he will save you from your sins. So um, that's where he got his name. The 12, 12 tribal leaders went through the promised land and they went all over, but they had Anakim there. Anakim, Skywalker. Um, Anakim. That's what they're called, a Rephidim or Anakim. The Anakim were the, the leftovers of Nephilim, okay? I don't want to go too deep into the weeds here, but just enough to tell you the origins of Goliath was that he was a leftover from the Nephilim, okay? And they were called Anakim or Rephaim, and they were giants, massive, massive people. So when the uh, 12 spies went throughout the land, they brought a, one cluster of grape that was so huge, one cluster of grapes so big, it took two men with a pole on their shoulders to carry one cluster. It was so fertile. And there in the valley of Eskal, which means cluster, that's the Hebrew word for cluster. So uh, you know the story. The 10 spies gave an evil report. You see, unbelief is evil. An evil, unbelieving heart. To not believe God is an evil, 
travesty. So if God says, you have a mission, you have something you're on earth to accomplish, and you don't believe it, you're not only going to miss your calling, but you're going to sin before Almighty God. And I don't think you want to do that. So rise up. This is why Timothy was told, awaken the dormant gift that was imparted by the laying on of hands, but now rekindle it back into a fire, awaken it, bring it up out of uh, the smoldering stage into the white-hot burning stage where people just have to get over it. You might as well be the fanatic your family says you are, you know? <laughs> Live up to your reputation. So the men with Caleb and Joshua, they came back and said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw were huge. Uh, we saw the Nephilim there. It says in Numbers 33, 33, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim, and we seemed like grasshoppers. And we looked the same to, in their eyes. So see if I can do this really quick. But locusts in the Bible is probably the most clear metaphor of intimidation there is. The religious spirit will always put you down. It will tell you what you're not. You're not qualified. It's not the right time. Ten more years under my covering, and then you can pass out a bulletin or work in the parking lot. Just become more like me. Get under my covering, and uh, that's how you're going to make it. That's, who let the sheep out? I mean, come on, huh? Who let the sheep out? Somebody's got to let the sheep out. Just, you know, we started a church in Connecticut there, and it kept growing. Tim, you were there a few times. Who, who was the person from Connecticut back there? Is that Heather? Oh, darling, good to see you, sweetheart. Thanks for coming. Uh, you know that the, we, we basically told people they would join. We had 50 to 60 people every month joining the church, okay? So we had the size of a small church every month joining. And I would meet with them once a month. We'd have lunch and talk, and, and I would say, go start your own group. Go do anything in ministry you feel God's called you to do. And they're all crying. Oh, nobody tells me I could do that. You know what? We had zero messes. Zero messes. I say, look, if you start a small group and it gets to be 300 and it becomes a church, go start a church. Who am I to get in the way of God's people, of the Holy Spirit who puts his dancing hand of love and giftedness on every one of us? So that we are... Administers, you're the ministers. That's what we taught our people. You're the ministers of the gospel. We're just the administers of this house, helping you succeed. And so, you know, 3,000 people later, uh, it was a phenomena that close to Yale University. So what, what I'm saying is this grasshopper mentality started in the very beginning of Israel's existence. They were intimidated every step. The Amalekites tried to stop them in Exodus 17. I mean, the Philistines, you had all of the parasites, stalactites, Klingons. You had everything coming against them. Uh, Sith warriors, you had everything. And, and the lesson of the Hebrews is to break through intimidation. 
and to be bold, confident in the calling God has given you. Don't try to do somebody else's calling. That's weird. And don't compare with somebody else's calling. That's double weird. But we just do what God has called us to do. And if every one of us were to rise up free from passivity and do the work of the gospel here in Austin, it indeed would shake the region. So I'll end with Joel chapter 1. You have an invasion of locusts. And these are the four. There's actually 10 Hebrew words for locusts, okay, in the Hebrew language, 10 different words. English, we have what? Grasshopper, locusts. Maybe down here in Texas, you have katydids, <laughs> right? Katydids. So the locust was a very important part of, of uh, Middle Eastern culture because of its devastating results. But in verse 4, I hope you'll look at this. I mean, you can hear me and listen to me, but if you'll look at Joel 1, 4, this will really help you. And it's four different words for locusts. Many of the translations do not bring it out clearly. Please get the book of Joel when it comes out soon. Please get the book of Joel, and I've got this all footnoted for you. People ask me all the time, tell me again that locust thing. Well, just read it. So verse 4 says, what the cutting locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. Now the cutting locust is a palmer worm. It's also known as the cutting worm. It would be like a caterpillar. It would be what cuts off the early growth of, of, the, of the harvest. And that is what the religious spirit does. It cuts out entire portions of the Bible and says they're not for today. It will cut out ministry gifts and it will cut this out and cut that out until all you have is a very predictable box of their pre-approved theological positions. Squash that cutting room. The locust is a clear picture of the religious domination and intimidation that's going to come against and has been coming against the church from its inception. So that's what the cutting locust. What about the swarming locust? Now, the swarming locust, I even have the Hebrew words for all of this for your own study. The, uh, the swarming locust. is uh, somewhat mature, and it comes in swarms. Not the cloud darkening that's coming, but there are bunches of them. When they come, they come not just one or two. They come in swarms. They swarm over you. This is the intimidating spirit that will try to make you feel inferior. The next is the hopping locust, as I've translated it. And it hops around on the platform and talks about things they never experience. They'll hop, in the, hop around the spiritual gifts but never really let somebody else operate in them. Because they hop, they don't fly. They have wings, but they don't fly. It's a juvenile locust that will hop but doesn't soar or let others do it. Are you following my, my stuff here? And then the very last is the consuming locust. This is the locust horde. It's also known as the finisher or the devourer. When Malachi says rebuke the devourer, everybody knew in that culture that that had to do with this cloud, you know, sky darkening locust horde that would come over the land and would consume every, every green thing that was before them. That's the full-blown religious spirit, my way or the highway. It uses control. 
It uses manipulation. It uses um, uh, superiority and will project rejection over you. It will actually threaten you because Goliath threatened the people of God. In Acts 4, when the power of God hit the early church, the religious spirit threatened them. They sent them out with threats. Don't ever speak again in that name. So that anytime you get a threat, it is connected to this religious spirit that's meant to intimidate you. But there's coming another army. And this is where I separate with a lot of scholars in our translation in particular in Joel chapter 2, where, it's, where many scholars, contemporary scholars, believe it's the same army. But no, it's not. It is an army coming like the dawn, racing down the hillside. They don't wait for the dawn. They are the dawning of a new day. There are a people coming that don't wait for a new day. They become a new day people. They bring it. They're a third day people. They live in resurrection life. They've attained into that grace of resurrection. They operate in it. And they're no longer going to be intimidated. They rush on the city. They run on the wall. They come through the windows. They get into the local church. They cause all kinds of messes, and pastors can't handle them. Too hot to handle young people coming to a church near you. Joel's army, fire in front of them, fire behind them. That means they're coming out of the fire and going into the fire. Behind them, a desolate wilderness. They laid waste to the doctrines of men. And before them, Eden, the pleasure, the garden of Eden, the bliss of paradise is in front of their eyes. They're focused on advancing and taking the church into a realm of the glorious perfection of the unveiled sons and daughters of God. There's a calling on them to go beyond the box, the limits, the lids, the ceilings that others have put before them. Don't do what everybody else is doing. Find that gift that's dormant. Awaken that calling. Sing the song no one's sung. Paint the art no one's thought of. Create the expressions. Invent new technologies. Burst through the limitations. Don't let the locusts devour you. Somebody tell me, what did John the Baptist eat? Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.